I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen, and today we're talking to Elliot Callan. He's the co-founder and president of A Brighter Day, a non-profit organisation dedicated to helping teens manage depression and stress and tackling teenage suicide. A little bit of a warning, we are going to be addressing some heavy stuff this episode, and we are going to be talking quite explicitly about suicide. If you're not up for hearing that, please pause, you don't have to listen, or if afterwards you need some support, please call the Samaritans on 116123. Seven years ago, my son, Jake, who was a sophomore at the University of Montana, Missoula, uh, walked up to the highway and jumped in front of an ongoing truck, taking his life. Uh, We were looking for him frantically on that Friday. Um, His phone was turned off. No teenager turned his phone off. We had a really bad feeling of what was going on. And at 630 at night, Federal Express knocked on the door and gave us a suicide note, a six-page suicide note by him. Um, he'd already been dead in a John Doe for about 17 hours at that point. And in his suicide note to us, he said, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I never would have asked for your help. I never would have told you how I felt. And I never would have taken your help. I must have read that note, Ellen Yvette, hundred times on the way home from Missoula with his body under the plane for burial and said, we have to do something about this because other families have to be feeling the same way. We we're devastated and you're not in mourning in the beginning. When you lose your child, you're in shock. Mourning comes a little bit later. So we decided that we would create a charity in honor of Jake, who obviously suffered from depression that no one knew about. No drugs were involved, no alcohol. It's a clean talk screen. 
we would create a charity that would help other parents and teens out, especially when teens were silently ticking time bombs. They were, they were suffering from depression or stress of school or the idea of going to college or leaving their home or their own personal situation and family dynamics. And we would create resources for teens and their parents to help them because sometimes the best way to reach teens is through their parents. And we would do that. And we began by doing that through music, a music-based charity where we took an old concept of Battle of the Bands, repackaged it as teen talent, excuse me, teen band showcases. And we did band shows of teens playing for bands all over Northern California. And at these showcases, we would hand out backpacks filled with resources on stress and depression. And in the first few years, we handed out thousands, about 2,400, 2,500 backpacks to teens, a few parents that showed up to these band events. And we were getting very good traction and we began to do writing. And today we're prolific writers. We've got writer and video. We do two uh, articles a month uh, coming out on our website and through a mailing list that, we're, that we build all the time. Uh, I like to write. I now have a writer on staff as well and social media people and all the things that are that people are better at than I am. Um, and we do this writing and then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, you couldn't do these band showcases anymore. So we converted that to talent showcases via Zoom. And last year was our first year doing it. We had 14,000 people download the, the YouTube and watch them for these teen talent showcases. And those people in turn, many of them went to the website to download what is a parent toolkit and a teen survival toolkit to help both of them uh, with original writing material on stress, depression, uh, how to deal with it, with the goal of stopping teen suicide. And we think we've touched hundreds of families with that. And I know our resources have been downloaded. Last month, 9,000 families uh, pulled down our resources or looked at them, uh, which is a staggering number. 14,000 last year and 9,000 just last month looked at these resources. So we know we're making a difference. And our goal is to create resources on stress and depression for parents and teens with the goal of stopping teen suicide. That's it. And that's what we do every day of the week. I think one thing that's really interesting about what you said was you described um, your son as a kind of silent ticking time bomb. And he said in his letter that he wouldn't have told you what was going on. He wouldn't have accepted help. I think people often assume that there are, you know, these big signs or big moments that were missed, were there signs that something wasn't right? It's an interesting question because we have to look back on that rather than go through that during the time. In his senior year in high school, and Jake was a hockey player, his jersey is actually hanging in a rink that he grew up in and, and University of Montana at the rink up there retired his jersey and is hanging from the rafters. But when he was playing hockey and he was obviously good enough to, to score goals, he just wasn't enjoying it. He would sit by himself. He might score two or three goals or at hockey in Montana. He had a seven goal game and he, he would sit by himself in the locker room and everybody thought that was quirky, but didn't tell me about it until after he was gone. When he came home for uh, Christmas a break shortly before he took his life, he had a hard time looking at me in the eyes. He just had a hard time. Couldn't make any eye contact with me. That's a sign. And he had a hard time sleeping. He was up till three o'clock in the morning. Uh, so his sleep pattern was totally disrupted. And his friends at school told me after he had died, 
that he was awake when they were asleep and he was asleep when they were awake and they were never seemed to be on the same page. So sleep and was number one. And you could tell that he had lost some weight, that he was not eating well either. But when you'd have a 19-year-old boy or an 18-year-old boy, I'm not sure how it is in England, but I'm sure it's the same way as, as it is here in the States. The difference between being a depressed teenager and kind of a dumb teenager, for lack of a better term, uh, they're just shades of gray. The kids are kids. They grunt. They moan. Boys are so uncommunicative. Um, that, and they still are. Even some men are just, they grunt and moan. It's like, how's it going? Fine. How's your day? Good. They answer monosyllabically. Uh, rather than, I kid my other son, who, uh, about make sure you answer, answer me polysyllabically in your world, because monosyllabically is caveman talk. So he was in that world, but he, he wasn't doing drugs. It wasn't doing alcohol. Um, it wasn't cutting himself. It wasn't crying out for help. He was just turning inward. How did you and your family go about processing um, what had happened? And when did you get to the point where you felt um, that you wanted to set up um, right a day? The idea of the charity came very quickly, actually on a plane ride home. It, it, not every party agreed with that. I, I, I'm divorced from, I was divorced from Jake's mom. So when we went up there and we talked about this, we were in a state of shock and devastation. We were not in mourning yet, which happened shortly thereafter when there's a coffin and burial involved, you go from shock to, to mourning. And then you just go to that ongoing empty hole in your heart. Even though you need to move on, there's an ongoing empty hole. But I knew, and as a family, as a family, we've always been very charitably inclined uh, and given money to charity and given time to charity. I've been presidents of a number of charities and some national brand charities like Boys and Girls Clubs. And I knew that we had to make a difference, that we would always be victims of this because every family is a victim of suicide. And that's why they call the, the people survivors of suicide. And those, those are the people that didn't take their life. So ironically, the word for me is a survivor, surviving dad. I don't like the term, but that is the, the psychological definition. But I knew we had to do something early on. And within, I would say, three or four months of Jake's burial, we began to talk to people and do some market research on how we could best help people. My first thought was, that will create a sports charity because he, Jake was obviously a hockey player and a bit of a jock. I'm a little bit of a jock. And I thought that would be the best way to reach kids is through sports. But as we did market research, we realized that so many teens today are no longer involved in sports. They're involved in their cell phone, but they're not involved in sports. But they are all involved in music in some kind. They like their own music, not my music. They're either playing or listening or tapping out or whatever they do. And we realized that it was music-based charity was the direction we needed to go. So even though he died in 1995, we had this charity up and running uh, and ran our first fundraiser for it uh, by the summer of, of excuse me, 2015. And we ran our first fundraiser for it six months after he passed away. What else have you found out during your research and your work? What have you found out about teenagers and their, you know, what puts them at such a risk for mental health issues and suicide? So we all know from research, and I don't need to quote, you know, the statistics here, you know, we're up in the U.S., we're up 60% on teen suicide, according to the CDC, Center for Disease Control, but we're up everywhere on it, on suicide. I think that the family unit and social media 
have really contributed to suicide rates, to depression. And particularly, I hate to drop a term, but you've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and they don't use Facebook anymore, but they were. They create highlight reels of everybody else's life and makes teens feel like everybody's having a good time but them. I even remember that Christmas when they were home, my three kids were at home, and we were talking about what everybody's doing this summer, and they were talking about this person's going to Tahoe, this person's going to Hawaii, and one of them made a comment to me, said, Dad, are we the only family that doesn't go away for Christmas break? Because that's how it felt with social media, that everybody's creating this highlight reel and everybody's having a good time but them. But what it also does is, is what social media does and texting also is it breaks apart the unit, the family unit at mealtime. So when I grew up, and I bet when you grew up too, the dinner hour was sacred. It was family time, not seven nights a week, but there were so many nights that you were at the dinner table. And at that dinner table, you have all types of wonderful conversations, some of it awkward, some of it probing, some of it annoying, but all types of good dinner conversation. And what the cell phone does for teens is create interruptions. And it's not just physical interruptions that I'm responding to a text. It's mental withdrawal because I have to withdraw from the conversation to respond to the text. And sometimes those texts are silly one word back and forth. So what I've learned and the advice that I give the parents when people ask me, and I know Yvette Nell and you were going to ask me this, what's the best the number one thing that you can advise to parents uh, today? And it is at family dinners and make a point to have family dinners because that's been going downhill for decades now, the family unit, family dinner time. Uh, as sports and organized sports has become more important and activities, we've got our kids more involved than ever. But what we, what I've learned is make dinners cell phone free. Don't have them turn off their cell phone. Have them not bring their cell phone to dinner. And that's including the parents. No phone calls at dinner. No texting at dinner, no Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or anything else, or Twitter at dinner. You can talk about things that happen, but it gives parents an opportunity, or parent an opportunity, if it's like a parent there, to probe and ask great, great questions. And we put on our website, a brighterday.info, we put actual questions that parents can ask of their kids of what's going on. And I know as a teen that I would have felt it's annoying. But it's, and I didn't understand my mother's questions. I thought they were annoying when she was asking me about my friends and what they do and how are their grades and what do they do on weekends and who's got a job and who doesn't have a job and what are they doing this summer and are they going away? And you can ask great questions. What's your favorite class? Why is that your favorite class? Who's your favorite teacher? How's your best friend, Jimmy? Who's your best friend? Why is history your favorite subject? Why is English your, or, or French or Spanish your favorite subject? What are you doing in there that you like? What are your friends doing? Because sometimes for teens, it's easier for them to talk about their friends than it is to talk about themselves. So they might be saying that their friend Jimmy or Jane is really having a tough time at school right now, is not getting along with their parents. And in reality, they're talking about themselves through their best friend or their friends. They're third-partying themselves. But that's never going to come up if you don't have dinner together. And if you just kiss your child goodnight and that's your first conversation, you've got three or five minutes to learn everything about your child's life that just went on for 12 or 14 hours, that's just not going to happen for you. 
So dinner is the special time to make it conversive and probing with good questions. And we help people with those questions all the time. How can parents create an environment where their child knows that if they want to open up about, you know, difficult things or things that maybe they shouldn't be doing, like drug use or drinking to excess, how do you create an environment where your child feels comfortable telling you that kind of thing? Well, that's a great question. Um, And it's a difficult question because it's an environment question that is different in everybody's house. You have two parents that get along. You have two parents that don't get along. You have one parent single parent homes, uh, whether it be widow or divorce, you, uh, and all the combinations that I just said above. Um, there's so many combinations out there nowadays. But the first thing your team needs to know is that you are non-judgmental because your team knows inside that they're doing the wrong thing. And it doesn't mean they can stop it. It just, they, they know drugs are bad. Every team, know dr- every team knows doing drugs or doing even serious drugs are just bad. Every teen knows that drinking or drinking to excess is bad. Every parent knows you don't want your your kids high or stoned or drunk when they're 14, 15, 16 years old. It's bad. So now your teen is doing something but not sharing it with you, or they're going to talk about their best friends are doing it. How do we get them to, to share that is we'd let them know that I'm not going to judge you for this, but we are going to talk about this. And I want to know, and if if your friend Mary or Jane is getting high on a regular basis, I am not going to call Mary's mother up and tell her she's doing that. But what's your involvement with Mary and her drugs? Are you walking down that road? Because she probably is. Because if they're best friends and the power of friendship and the friends as teenagers have more power than the parents, if they want to fit in with their best friends or their friends or their clique, they're going to want to do the same things. And that's so powerful. So you've now got to get on the same side of the table as your child and still be the parent, not their best friend, because a parent probes, a best friend doesn't need to probe. But that doesn't mean you need to judge them for it. But And you're not going to solve this today. Your child is starting to do drugs. You're not going to solve this at dinner on Tuesday night. You're going to have to talk about this a lot and often and maybe get some help because you don't have all the answers. And the schools, many schools have counselors. They don't have all the answers. But there are places to get help counseling. We're about to add online counseling to our website, Zoom counseling, in-person counseling, uh, uh, chat on, on your cell phone counseling. We're adding that because it's so important to reach the team today. But it all begins with great non-judgmental conversation. Mm. And what advice and support does um, a bright day offer parents who are worried about um, their teen right now? They're worried about them them being depressed or stressed. So a brighter day is we don't have counselors on staff. We We provide resources, but that's now changing. So in the past, what we've done is people that want to download and read what's going on with their teen, we've created an environment for that. And I've got parents that literally call me weekly from all over the country and say, my teen is in trouble. Sadly, I get some calls that say, my my teen took his life. I need to talk to somebody. And that is just a shoulder to lean on and the damage is already done. But we want to be there before this happens. 
And so we help them get a counseling session, inpatient, outpatient. We'll go online. We'll help them find counselors in their town to talk to. Generally speaking, it works best if a boy talks to a man and a girl talks to a, a woman. But that's not always true. And they're sometimes not available. So we help them get that. Now we're adding two new types of counseling. We're adding a, uh, it'll be up and running by the end of next week. We're adding texting. So a team directly, 24 hours a day, can text a word to a certain number. And within five minutes, we'll get a counselor on the line texting back to them. And they can have up to a 40-minute chat session, 24 hours a day. Or a parent can do this too. Where And they usually be in, my life is terrible, my world is terrible, my walls are black. I hate my parents or the teen or the parent is saying, I don't know what to do with my teen. They're moody. They're miserable all the time. I'm not reaching them. They'll be able to talk to somebody for absolutely no charge on their cell phone in a text format. The other part we're doing is we're teaming up with a, a third party that offers actual counseling via Zoom anywhere in the country. I can't tell you that they're in Europe. I believe they are, but I don't want to say that yet. You're not checking that out. And they'll be able to create literally Zoom meetings with licensed professionals very, very quickly, much quicker sometimes because there can be a five, four or five week wait sometimes here in the States to talk to get to actual in front of a counselor. And if your child is suicidal, four weeks is a lifetime. So they'll be able to do that via our website very, very quickly um, in both places. So we're getting much more hands on in the actual helping of the teens and their parents uh, through the website. That's fantastic. And that sounds like a great resource for people um, in the States. Um, I'd just like to sort of interject there with your um, texting service. That sounds brilliant. We have something similar in the UK at the moment called Shout, which is 85258. That's 24-7 tech support. Um, it's brilliant. You've got, you're, you're setting that up in the US as well, though. Um, I think I've, I have two sort of big questions for you now. Um, and I suppose the first one kind of really goes back to what you were talking about earlier um, when you were supporting other parents who have been bereaved by suicide, but also your own um, your own story. And I'd, I'd really know, like to know your thoughts on how we can support people bereaved by suicide. Well, that's a great question. So let's let's start by demystifying suicide. Uh, you know, you can't say the words that my son committed suicide anymore. Uh, because commit means to uh, a crime. So that's already, let's stop calling the word commit suicide a, a crime. Because as parents, we use that word all the time. He, he took his life. He committed suicide. It's not meant to be like that. So we have to demystify it. And suicide is an outcome of some form of depression. It's an outcome. Now, it also could be based on drugs. But let's the drugs might be hiding the, the depression in there, uh, but it is a form of depression. Uh, and for my son, I believe, and I believe for all suicidal teens, the walls get black around him, her, and they begin to think yesterday was terrible. Today's even worse. Tomorrow is going to be even worse than this. Nobody's going to really miss me. Forget it. I'm just going to do it. I really think that's the process uh, that a teen goes through in taking his or her life. So you have to stop the process to stop the suicide. And if then there is a suicide, that is an opportunity for parents and professionals to have conversations 
with their teams about what's going on and what what was going on in Mary's home or John's home. And is that going on in our home? Ask that tough question. Have you ever thought about suicide? You know, in a recent survey of a local school system here in Northern California, they did, right after my son's death, they took a, a survey of the seniors on depression and suicide. And they thought, and I was involved with that, and they thought about 5% of the teens who answered this, and these are 16, 17, and 8-year-olds who answered this would, would say that they've thought about suicide. And it was 60%. 60% of at this one school system, here locally, an affluent system, not poor, not gun-riddled, affluent in Northern California standards, said that at least once they've thought about suicide and have felt strong signs of depression several times in high school. Well, that's staggering. And I'm, I, would, I would put money down that those parents have no idea that their teen was thinking that, the vast majority of them. And they're not going to know that unless we demystify suicide and have a conversation that our goal is to help the teen with suicide with depression first with a goal of stopping suicide because you can't stop suicide until you actively go after the depression. And for families that have gone through that, the best thing you can do is hug, be there for them. They have to go through the mourning periods of suicide and the anger periods. And maybe we can convince them somewhere down the road that I know you have an empty loss, but perhaps we can make a difference in other people's lives. And that's how charities work and good deeds are done because we don't want them to happen to somebody else that happened to ourselves. And there are people that think like that, they think like us, that we can do that. Um, I think the other main thing I'd like to ask you is what would you say to anyone who's struggling um, at the moment um, in terms of depression or low mood? I would say ask for help. Ask for help. Um, because if you're a teen and you're feeling depressed, um, your friends aren't going to solve it for you. And your parents can help you with the conversation, but you may need to talk to a professional, whether the media is Zoom or the media is going to be a chat program, that's secondary. I would say a professional in your life is a good thing. Now, if you asked me that 30 years ago, I never would have thought like this because I thought, I, I'm a macho guy. I'm not going to get help. I don't need help. But now I realize that help, is, help can be really beneficial to a teen. And if you're the parents of this depressed teen, then don't be afraid to look at our website or look at websites with resources and see if you can get ideas. And then if you need to get some help yourself on how to deal with this, go ahead. Because maybe your issue and your issues are weighing you down. Your issues of, of your marriage is not working out or you're divorced or widowed or you're just not in a good place at work or, or whatever confusion is going on that's changing your attitude. You know, we've we brought these children in the world and now they're at the most difficult age ever. They're teens when hormones are going crazy and they're raging with, with moodiness and their, their school systems are being uprooted from middle to high school to college or post-secondary. And they're being, they have a loss and a gain at the same time. I'm losing my high school friends and I'm going to college. I'm losing, living with my parents. I'm going off to boarding school. I'm, I'm, these are such gigantic issues in teens lives that we've got to address them. And if we don't know how to address them, then we need to get ourselves as parents some help on how to address them. Because if we don't, we are making our issues, which I, I could be legitimate issues, our issues, their issues. And we're bringing our shtick home, our big issue home, and dumping it on our teens. 
unconsciously and subconsciously, but they are wearing the armor of the parents' problems and they can't solve any of them. And for my teen, in his suicide note, Jake wrote in three different pages, Mom, I hope you find happiness one day. Because she was an unhappy person in her own right, having nothing to do with him. And the kids knew that sometimes they'd come over and she was sitting in a dark room by herself. And for him, he took that very personal personally that he couldn't solve her issue and he couldn't change his outcome no matter what. It's sad, but that issue of hers became his issue that he couldn't solve and it contributed to perhaps his own issues. Mm, kids definitely pick up on that, even if you think they don't. I think that's such a good point of like, as a parent, you need to be looking after yourself so you can then be a good parent to your child. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also, I really think it's important what you said about, you know, teenagers probably don't even realise, you know, how tumultuous their lives are. I know there's mm. so much going on, you know, all the pressure of the work and, you know, so many different things going on with friendship groups, which seem so important at the time. And, you know, everything with your grades seems so important. And yeah, you might have be having family family issues as well, which feels so important. But um, something that I was kind of keep in mind with with suicide is that it's um it's basically a, a, a permanent answer to a temporary problem. And I think when you're a teenager, you don't realise that all these things are temporary. Um, in fact, when you're kind of in depression, you probably don't realise that a lot of these things are just temporary. Um, but it's and it's so crucial like you say to have these conversations and get it out and actually although it's really shocking to to sort of hear 60 percent of the teens thought about suicides um to actually say you'd been thinking about suicide is obviously totally different to actually going through with it um so to actually have those conversations i think is just so crucial so you can kind of nip things in the bud absolutely and i um, i think as you know and science has shown that boys specifically their brain is not developed until much later, into the early 20s. And so you're asking a teen to understand what you just said, that my situation is temporary, and they're just not equipped. They're not wired to do that. Is that um, where the name A Brighter Day came from? In the sense that, you know, it might seem really difficult and tough now, but there is the possibility of something good in the future. Uh, that's a great question. I get asked that every now and then. Uh, the answer is, in the short word, is yes because I have to constantly repeat the story of his death. And, you know, I'm, I'm human. I mean, I have feelings, so I can do that a number of times. And then I go to the cemetery um, and have a conversation there. And it's a, it's a cathartic moment for me. Um, this, you know, the view doesn't change at the cemetery. The conversation doesn't really change at the cemetery. Uh, it's not a very long conversation, just 15, 20 minutes tops. Um, but it allows me to reset and restart my brain and get in a better place. So yes, to your answer. And um, on the other side, though, when I get letters and cards, which I have that say, thank you for saving my life or thank you for saving my teen's life, it's pretty awesome. So this is goodbye from mentally Mentally yours, mentally yours.
you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes. We have many of them. Also, you can get in contact with us. We have a lovely Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>